Shavua Tov to all our listeners out there, to Chai FM, to Soul to Soul. Top of the week, we are going to be learning some Torah together. Um, and especially in my, my department, my slot, we are going through the book of Tehillim. And we are trudging through the longest Tehillim that there is. Um, in the book of Tehillim, chapter 119, Kufyut Tet. It has 176 verses. And as always, when we start this, we'll be doing it for 22 weeks, and I think we're down to uh, another 18 or 17 weeks to go. Um, I tell you that each of the um, the letters of the alphabet are found in Kufyut Tet. And the way that it works is that the first eight verses start with Aleph and the next eight verses start with Bet and then Gimel and then Dalad. We are starting the letter Hey, the fifth letter of the alphabet today. There are eight verses that start with the letter Hey. But before we get stuck into the actual um, verses, we always have a bit of a discussion about the letter itself. As we know, God created the world with the Hebrew alphabet, with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And if one becomes very steeped in the understanding of these letters, how they are formed, what they stand for, we will actually understand the chemical combination and, 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 and background to everything that we have on the planet. And really the, the analogy is such that if one becomes a scientist and one understands hydrogen and oxygen and then understands, understands that two hydrogens connect to an oxygen through sp2 or sp3 or sp4 hybridization, it will form a certain compound, be it water, be it hydrochlor, uh, hydroperoxide or whatever it is. Um, and you'd be able to, you'll be able to dissect that and understand what it is. So too with the Hebrew alphabet. When you actually understand the Hebrew alphabet, and it's not something that you can just uh, take a year course. There are certain individuals, certain um, very learned individuals. Rabbis who have, who have, are, are, are steeped in the learning of Torah, um, and make it their focus to learn the gematria, the numerical uh, values of, of the letters and the formation of the letters. They will be, they are able to understand much about this world and what it is, what its makeup is, what the nature of the world is, et cetera, et cetera. And we know when we call Something or someone by the Hebrew name, we are actually calling their essence because whatever letters of the Hebrew name make up your Hebrew name, that is in truth who you are. That is your divine imprint. That is kind of like your electronic, your spiritual ID tag. It says everything about you, which incidentally explains why when we go to somebody holy, a Rebbe or a huge Rav, and we're asking for a blessing, you don't just say what your name is and your surname and where you live. You just have to give them your Hebrew name and then whom um, you are the son or daughter of's Hebrew name, meaning you would say, I'm Sarah, Rachel, Bat, Chaya. And just from them knowing that you are Sarah, Rachel, and you're the daughter of Chaya, they will be able to know from that what your essence is, what your path in life is, where it is that you've got to um, make things better, et cetera, et cetera. And so when it comes to Judaism, we use the name tag very, very, very seriously. All throughout our lives, we always tag ourselves through our mother because Judaism follows through the lineage of the mother. 
except when a man is called up to the Torah, then he gets the Aliyah in the name of his father. So he would be David Mordechai Ben Benjamin, for example. Um, but if David Mordechai is ill, he won't say he's Ben Benjamin. He'll say he's David Mordechai Ben Rachel. His mother's name. So, the, the, by the way, the reason for that is that when it comes to the um, calling up to the Torah, um, we go according to the tradition of the father through the tribe of the father. We inherit through the father's side. But um, our religious imprint, um, whether we are Jewish or not, comes through the mother's side. And obviously, once a person passes away, we... Um, then tag the person through the father's name because we go back to inheritance um, and tradition that way. Having said that, um, then the letters of the alphabet are of vital importance because when com coming together, they actually give you the compound. They give you the spiritual um, structure of the person. And so as we go through each and every letter, and we understand how the letters are made up, we, we gain insight into each and every single element of the Hebrew alphabet. So we're on to the letter Hey. Now, what is very, very interesting um, is that the Talmud in Shabbos, there's a whole Gemara there that talks about each and every letter and what every letter means. The, the, the Gemara says that the letter Hey and the letter Vav which is the next letter, the sixth letter, which we will please God do next week, um, stand for Hashem's name, his ineffable name, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. We do not pronounce this name um, ever the way that you see it written down. We will, um, when just reading it to teach people, say Hashem. And when we are praying, we pronounce it as my master, Ado. Nigh. Okay, but the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He is God's ineffable name, and um, <clears throat> it is actually made up of the Yud, the He, the Vav, it's three letters. But if you look very, very carefully at the, the that this name, you will see that there are almost, in a sense, project, projections of um, the the Yud. Obviously, you've got the little Yud. Then the hay is made up of a little yud, which is its leg, and a dalad, um, or two vavs that are horizontal and vertical. Then there's a vav, and then there's a, another hay. Now, um, the Eitz Yosef, who's a which is a commentator on the Gemara, goes and says that the letter hay has a numerical value of five, and it stands for the five books of Moses, which is obviously the foundation of the entire written law. And the letter Vav has a numerical value of six, which corresponds to Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the six orders of the Mishnah, which is the foundation of the oral law. And once we have the foundation of the oral law, the Mishnah Torah, and we have the Torah, the Chamishah Humshei Torah, the five books of Moses, we obviously then just get the entire Torah. Um. So that that is one interesting idea. Um, if you actually look at the the letter Yud Hey Vav Hey, Yud looks like a little dot, looks like a little speck, and that almost is the seed with which God wanted to um, impregnate the world, so to speak. The Hey is like a hand that takes that Yud, 
okay, and then out stretches out to the vav, and then the that that um, is explaining the 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 spiritual process of Hashem coming into this world. But what's very interesting, if we just look at the shape of the letter hey, okay, um, you will see. And this is also explained in the Talmud, explained in the Gemara of Menuchos. It says that God created the world with the letter He. And the shape of this letter demonstrates how God fashioned the world to afford mankind the opportunity to exercise free will. Let's have a look how. Because if you look above the left leg, of the hay, you'll see there's a small opening. You kind of like have the two valves that are horizontal, vertical, which make look like kind of a dullard or a raish. Okay, and then you have the little freestanding leg. So right above the left leg of the letter hay, there is a small opening. And this says the, the rabbis in the Gomorrah is a symbol of the passageway to heaven. Why? Because the passageway is narrow, because the way to heaven is not an easy one. It's not an easy thing to be a moral, integrous human being that subscribes to God's laws and statutes and commandments. At the bottom of the hay, okay, you'll see that the opening is wide, and this is to represent the lower passage to the netherworld, to Gehenim, to what we loosely translate as hell. And it says this opening is wide to remind us that it's very, very easy for man to fall if he does not make an effort to choose the path upward to God. And this really is a concept that's very true in all fields of human endeavor. Excellence when we want to do something right, when we want to do something good, when we want to excel in an area, it demands application. It demands effort. Okay? And it's hard. We generally swim against the tide to get to that upper little passage where we can become who we really want to be. It's far easier, much easier to be slothful, lazy, okay, and just fall out of the bottom, fall, fall out, and really we know that the reward for slothfulness, for laziness, is in fact failure. So the hay comes to teach us the structure of the world. God didn't make it easy. It ain't easy to be a good person, to excel in what you want to do, to strive and to, to, to get to a place where you have to be. It's, much, it's, it's unfortunately easier to fall out fall through the bottom. So that is what the letter Hay is coming to teach us. You're listening to Robertson Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and uh, we are studying chapter 119 of Tehillim. The verses all starting with the letter Hay. And just before we went for a break, we were just discussing the subject of Hebrew letters, and in particular the letter Hay, that teaches us that in order to achieve excellence, in order to achieve perfection, in order to achieve anything in this world, it is an upward battle. It is really, really hard to get to heaven. Very, very easy, unfortunately, to go in the opposite direction. And with that in mind, we will now understand this, the eight verses that start with the letter, hey, that start with 
um, the, the, the fifth letter of the Torah. And of course, as I'm going through it, I always welcome your comments or questions that you have on this topic. You can send an SMS to 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 0621482374, email on air at highfm.com. Com. And if you really, really want to give a call, 010-140-3020. Let's get stuck into <clears throat> the first verse, which happens to be verse 33 of chapter 119. That starts with the letter Hey, based on the idea that we need to strive forward, we need to strive for excellence. King David says, Horeni Hashem derechukecha ve'etzarena ekev. Teach me, Hashem, the ways of your statutes, and I will cherish it step by step. So basically here, David is saying to God, teach me how to ascend upwards towards you by following Torah and mitzvahs. And upwards, because we said, in order to do something good, you're going to you're going to come against resistance and it is an upward climb. I will cherish it step by step. We're following the translation. Um, the tra- Sorry, the translation is following Rashi, the foremost commentator on the Torah. And literally, Akev means heal. We've heard it before when Yaakov Avinu um, came holding on to the heel of his brother. Um, his parents chose to call him Yaakov from the word Akev, from hill, because he was holding on to the hill. Now, the word Akev alludes to a very small step, because those who walk daintily will keep the toes of their back foot close to the hill of the front foot. And Rashi goes and says, um, basically, what David was saying was that if Hashem will guide me, I will follow him, even on small circular back trails of life. He will walk gingerly, so to speak. He'll walk cautiously and he will take small steps. And this in itself is an important lesson um, because in life, when one wants to do something properly, it's not always the best thing just to kind of like get up and run. One needs to do things methodically. One needs to build foundations. One needs to go through processes and it's Arena Akev um, is coming to teach us our cherish it step by step, that our growth should have a step by step plan, that we should we should we should go slowly in what we're doing, not too slowly, okay, because then you you're gonna probably slip backwards, but enough that we are establishing each and every step um, along the way in a proper way. The Radak, which is another commentator on the Torah, renders Akev as to the end. Why? Because the heel is at the end of the body. And um, what he was saying here was that King David was basically saying and pledging that he would observe God's commandments to the very end of his days if only God would teach him the way of truth. And here many other commentators pick up the comment of the Radak. And um, they say that the, it's, it's, it's vitally important to remain faithful to Torah to the very end because someone can occupy themselves with Torah is ne- nearly like his whole lifetime, but in one minute he could fall and he could repudiate 
all his learning and his observances, and that would be considered as if he hadn't learned Torah at all. And the example that they give is Doig and Achitofel, who were David's enemies. They occupied themselves with Torah, but at the end of the day, they forsook everything that they actually stood for, and so it looked as if they had accomplished nothing in their lives. So David declares that um, he is going to cherish the Torah and mitzvahs all the way to the very end, all the way to the end of his life. And in fact, in another verse in Tehillim chapter 19, he says, Gam nisharbahem b'shomram ekev rav. Even your servant is careful with them to keep them to the very end. So it's important to know that we need not only to take step-by-steps in things that we do and build foundations, but that we need to be consistent and we need to build on what it is that we have. As we've explained before, mitzvah gorerita, mitzvah avera gorerita avera, excuse me, a mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. So when you are building, you'll, you'll build the one, one brick and you'll, you'll establish something in your life and then you add on to that and you add on to that and you add on to that. You show consistency all the way till the end of your life. If God forbid you do not keep that process moving, energetically what will happen is you'll start slipping back. You'll fall through the bottom part of the letter hey, and you will land up falling out and um, losing all that you have built. And everybody knows that to be true, whether it's in study, whether it's in exercise, whatever it is, if you are wanting to maintain a healthy body, you need to consistently eat healthy. You need to consistently exercise. And when you stop that consistency, when you stop that step-by-step program, what happens is, is that your body actually becomes sluggish, loses muscle tone, um, and reverts into very, very negative ways. So that really is the message of King David in his first verse. Horeni Hashem, derechukecha, Hashem, show me, teach me the ways of your Torah. Ve'etzarena ekev, I will cherish it step by step. Then he goes up and he says further, Havineni ve'etzra Torah make me understand so that I may cherish your Torah, ve'eshmerena b'cholev, and I will keep it with all my heart. Really here, David is saying that only with God's divine assistance would he succeed in understanding and remembering the Torah. As uh, it's, it's mentioned actually in the Gomorrah of Megillah, it says, to master and retain one's Torah, to master and retain one's Torah studies requires divine assistance. So this is what King David is asking of God. Make me understand so that I may cherish your Torah. And I will keep it with all my heart, meaning with all my love for you, God, that Torah study should not be motivated um, by a person so that he could flaunt his knowledge, that he could feel himself greater than who he is, but rather we want to keep Torah because of our love and our awe of God, of understanding that God is the supreme ruler and that we are here in this world to serve him. Then he continues in verse 35 with the following, Hadricheni bintiv mitzvotecha, Lead me on the trail of your commandments, for that is my desire. Now, the word trail 
is interesting. Hadricheni bintziv mitzvotecha. Lead me on the trail of your of your of of your commandments. Now, trail alludes to the minute details involved in fulfilling a mitzvah. Uh, to perfection, almost like a trail branching off from a highway. And when a person lavishes infinite care and attention on a mitzvah in order to perform it in the best and most beautiful manner, he then demonstrates that he has like a huge desire for it. Now, there are certain mitzvot we should, we should be performing all mitzvot like that, that we pay attention to it, we understand the nuances of it, we, we, we keep each mitzvah in its full detail. There are also certain mitzvot which we are commanded to beautify. And I'm going to give you an example of one because it's coming up soon, and that is the mitzvah of etrog. Um, there are halachot, there are various laws that pertain to the, the etrog, the size, the shape, the color, how it was grown, the blemishes, etc., etc., which I will leave to other people to explain. But it says that one of the ways that we show and we cherish um, this mitzvah is that we do it mehudar. We, we beautify it. And the way we beautify it is, is that if we have extra money, we should uh, spend on a more beautiful um, etrog and, 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 and make it even more beautiful than what the basic halakha requires of us. I've got to just quickly share a story of, uh, with you. I think, and I stand to be corrected if anybody's out there and knows the story, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it was, um, with Reblevi Yitzhak of Bedichev. It could be that I'm saying the name wrong. Um, so let's just leave it that there was a great Rebbe who really, really cherished the um, the mitzvah of Etrog so much that he would save all his money the entire year um, so that he could buy the most beautiful Etrog that there was in town. And one year he, he bought it and he put it um, in a cabinet and um, – it says that the next morning he was so excited to fulfill the mitzvah that he forgot the cabinet had glass. And he actually put his hand through the cabinet in order to get um, the etrog. Like for him, when he had the ability to perform the mitzvah um, in a mehudadika way, in a beautiful way, um, it was so. There's also another story um, that comes to mind of um, – Another person, again, I can't remember the Rebbe's name, but anyway, he bought a beautiful mitzvah and uh, he landed up having a tiz with his wife. And um, in anger, the wife bit off the pitum of the etrog, bit off the tip of the etrog, and he, she rendered the um, etrog useless. It was, he was unable to fulfill the mitzvah. And there the story ends that, that the guy kept quiet, which shows that the most mehuda deka mitzvah is shalom bayit, is to keep peace in the home. Um, and uh, that too is very, very important. So the message that really that I'm trying to tell you is this is what King David was saying, Hadricheni bin Tziv Mitzvotecha, lead me on the trail of your commandments, Kivocha Fatsti, that one needs to build up a connection with God in such a way that each and every single mitzvah is done with vigor, with desire, with a wanting to make it as perfect as perfect as possible. Um, and that's really where, where you'll be able to show desire for the mitzvahs when you really take care to do each mitzvah um, in its entirety and beautify it to the best way possible.
chapter, I mean, verse 36 reads as follows. Hat libi el edvotecha, incline my heart towards your testimonies, ve al el bata, and not to greed. Now, if there ever was probably um, a verse that was so pertinent to our time today, it's this one. Unfortunately and sadly, today, a lust for money and a desire for fame and a desire for all things um, material has made man lose the plot. We tend to lose the plot from all the materiality around us and we kind of make those things the most important in our life and we, we, we forget or we lose sight of what is really important and that is relationships, relationships with God and relationships with the people around us, our, our, our close family, our husbands and wives, our children, our parents, our siblings and the greater community. And King David understood that and he knew that particularly as a king um, he would be in pretty much a vulnerable position which he was because a king gathered many many horses many wives much money lived in an opulent palace had a tremendous amount of power um, you know we 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 Look at the news and we look at world leaders and we see how it doesn't matter even the best bunch of them. And I'm not sure how many are even come in the best bunch. But anyway, all of them lose the plot because of their positions um, and they are blinded by money and blinded by corruption and blinded by everything that is out there. King David said, Hatli be al advotecha, incline my heart towards your testimonies, ve al el bata, and not to greed, meaning that first, incline my heart towards your testimonies. Don't allow me to grow excessively proud. Don't allow me to, you know, think that I am the be all and the end all um, because I am surrounded or I've been given the gift of all of these things. In fact, in the book of Devarim, in chapter 17, it says, neither shall he greatly increase for himself his silver and gold. This is talking about the king. Um, because Torah recognizes that when a person is put into a position of physical, material wealth, in all its levels, you tend to lose the plot. So King David says, please don't let me lose the plot. Incline me, incline my heart. Towards your testimonies, don't let my heart be inclined towards all that physical stuff around me. They're all elbata and not to greed. Because we know that also, by the way, um, we are taught that a lust for money will disqual does disqualify a Jew from positions of responsibility and leadership. Now the word bata and the root better refers to cutting in half. So we are taught that the person who studies God's Torah for selfish gain will only receive a fraction of the spiritual bliss that is inherent, that's the inherent reward of Torah studies. So what must one do? One must strive to teach Torah lishma for its own sake and not for any alternative, I will get a reward attitude. And lishma means that we have to do it because 
It's spiritually good for us. It's what God wants us to do. It's the right thing to do, as opposed to us keeping Torah and mitzvahs because we need success socially, financially, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and we are told that we won't get everything that we need to get if we are doing Torah for the wrong reasons. And I think that this is something that um, is probably a pertinent thing to dwell on now that we are in the month of Elul and that we are, are, are supposed to be doing a spiritual accounting. We're supposed to be drawing up our annual spiritual um, statements for the year because on Rosh Hashanah we are going to have to produce to God our income and expenses, our assets and liabilities, and we are going to have to give a cash flow forecast for the next year of what it is that we need to fix and where we need to go. And this is something I think that um, plays a very, very important part in us understanding and correcting and, you know, putting the whole picture together how much of our Torah learning, how much of our mitzvot observant, observance um, is done lishma, is done because God told us to it. Are we, have we got stuck in a position where, where um, we need to um, do something because somebody else has told us to do it as opposed to, to us, um, you know, doing it because God told us to it. It's a very, very important concept. You're listening to Robertson Edel Kozilski. Back again, trying to uh, finish up the verses of the letter Hey, and we are now on verse 37. And this is a vitally important one. Avert my eyes from seeing futility through your ways. Preserve me. Now, one of probably the greatest stumbling blocks um, is our eyes because when our eyes view physical pleasures, what does it do? Yep, it stirs the passions of the heart. We know that in Bamidbar it says, do not explore after your heart and after your eyes after which you will go astray. And if we really look inside the Torah, you will see that the very first sin resulted from a sin of eyes, of the eyes looking. What do we know? We know that the first sin recorded in the Torah is to do with Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And um, <clears throat> it says there, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and an enticement for the eyes. The Balaturim. A very famous commentator on Torah says the following, the words, la enayim, okay, the word for eyes, is mentioned only four times in the whole of Torah. The first time is in chapter 3 of Genesis, where it says, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and an enticement for the eyes. The second time that Enaim is mentioned is in Shmuel, in Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says there, Ki ha'adam yire la'enaim, for a man sees as things happen in front of his eyes. Kohelet, Ecclesiastics chapter 11 reads, Umatok ha'or vetov le'enaim, sweet is the light and it's pleasing to the eyes. 
And in Mishle, in Proverbs, in chapter 10, verse 26, we read the words, Ashan le'enaim, and like smoke to the eyes. So the Balaturim takes these four verses, the verse talking about the eyes of, in, in, in the time of Gan Eden, the eyes from Shmuel, from Kohelet, and from Mishle, from Samuel, from Ecclesiastics, and from Proverbs. And he says the following, there is a common theme in these four scattered verses. What is the common theme? Adam's eyes were led astray by external appearances, which seemed to be good and enticing. At first there was light. Okay, The forbidden fruit appeared to be sweet and pleasing. But ultimately, Adam realized that his eyes had been deceived by the smoke of vain, sensual deception. We've got to be careful with what we look at. And very interestingly, in Torah, Torah is actually sensitive to this idea and doesn't and does not encourage in fact it discourages a lot that we should not look upon things that are negative we should not um read we should not watch we should not be put in places where our eyes look upon negative things um and in fact it says that we have to have an eye in tov. We have to have a good eye. We should only look upon things and see it's good in it. There's two ideas there. One, stay away from looking at negativity. And I'm going to give you one example about looking at negativity and not the obvious one. The obvious one would be you should stop looking at the negativity that one finds on social media, on the Internet, on the TV, in the books, all the stuff that is negative that our eyes peer upon ultimately um, and essentially has an effect on our thinking, on who we are, how we see ourselves, etc., etc. And um, amongst those that are careful with that um, will raise children and, and make sure there is an environment where everything that surrounds their children in particular is holy, meaning that we will not have in um they will not have in their houses um, pictures or, or or any type of material where it is there it displays something negative um, very interestingly when it comes to eyes it says that of a pregnant woman once she has conceived for the next nine months she is housing a child that is learning Torah from an angel that it should be that should be um brought up in a, a an environment of Kedusha, of holiness, and therefore it is inappropriate for a pregnant woman to look upon anything trafe, anything that is not kosher or inappropriate, because that allows the child, it, it actually affects the child um, and allows the mother to bring that child up, or not bring the child up, bring the child to full term, um, in a holy environment, David's greatness was um, was, and Shmuel calls it that he was Yefei Einaim, that he had beautiful eyes, meaning not only that he had gorgeous looking eyes, meaning that he had a clarity of vision. That no matter what his temptation was, he was saying to God, "Examine me, put me to the test." But I have always looked and tried very, very hard to maintain a clarity of vision. And the truth is, is that God complied and he did test David with a sight that would draw his eyes from the purity of heaven down to the desires of the earth. As we know, with whom? 
With Bathsheba, it says that David walked on the way of the king's palace and from the roof he saw a woman, that happened to be Bathsheba, bathing. And the woman was of exceedingly beautiful appearance and he failed that test for his eyes were distracted from God and drawn to the attractions of the flesh. So even the greatest of David, of a greatest of great David himself, um, kind of lost that plot. But nevertheless, he asks God, Ha'aver enaim mirot shav, avert my eyes from seeing futility. Bidrachecha chayeni, let me walk, let your ways, through your ways, let me be, let me be preserved. Meaning the choice of the correct way of life is probably the most crucial decision that confronts man. And it is a decision between Life and death. We've got to be very, very careful where our eyes appear. And you will see that when you come to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and we are doing the vidoy, we are saying the prayers of confession, you will see there a liner that says to Hashem to forgive us for when our eyes went astray, when we looked upon things that didn't belong to us, when we looked with envy, when we looked with a lack of clarification, when we looked upon things that we shouldn't really be looking upon. Hakem la'avdecha imratecha is verse 38. Fulfill your promise to your servant. Here, um, King David is asking um, that God fulfills his um, promise, and the promise is that um, his, his himself and his um, descendants should be um, of, uh, they should be should have the trait of the fear of God and that um, they should lead in a true and proper manner. Asher liratecha, let them, regarding, let, regarding fearing of you, let them know that they have to fear you. Basically, what he was saying here is that fear of God, Yerashamayim, is an essential factor to his, the perpetuation of his, of his, um, of his line, and God did promise David that if his descendants ever strayed from the path, he would take vigorous steps to bring them back. And finally, we have one more verse that reads, Ha'aver cherpati asher yagorti, remove the scorn that I dreaded. Now, as we just said, David did fall with his eyes. He looked upon Bathsheba and he got himself into a lot of trouble. And his relationship with, with Bathsheba was a constant source of embarrassment to him. And his, detract, his detractors never failed to remind him of this episode in order to disgrace him. So he completes um, this, this set of Eight verses with this prayer that Hashem should remove the scorn that he dreaded, that he begs God for complete forgiveness so he should no longer suffer from this disgrace and that there should always be Yerat Shemayim, that um, God should always fulfill the promise to give his throne to his God-fearing descendants and to make sure that they serve God with a clear with a clear vision, with a crystal vision. Why? Because Hashem, your judgments are correct. He, 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 took, he took the punishment that God um, gave him for what he did with, 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 with dignity. And he said, you're right, God, I deserve to be punished here. But nevertheless, please maintain um, the lineage moving forward in a positive manner. So we've completed the eight verses of 
chapter 119, the eight verses pertaining to the letter Hey, And I hope I've given you a little bit more food for thought for the week as we are preparing ourselves towards the very, very special holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And on that note, I wish you a Shavua Tov, a wonderful week. And please, God, we'll be back same time, same place next week.